Nice. Good morning, Woodland Hills. Good morning or afternoon or evening or middle of the night, proud listeners. Whenever you're listening to this, can, can any of you relate to what some of those uh, yahoos were sharing about evangelism? Uh, I've shared before that when I think back on my senior year in high school, um, I, when I first became a Christian, I was just obnoxious. It was, uh, it was terrible, 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 terrible. And uh, I, looking back on it, it's, it's one year of pure embarrassment. I think that's why I avoided going to my class reunion for, for 30 years. Uh, it's like, did I really? Oh, I apologize. Um, but yeah, so, so the, I, I tend to associate evangelism with some pretty negative stuff. I bet some of you are in that same camp. Let, let me just try this little experiment. When I say the word evangelism, uh, what comes to your mind? Just holler out some words. Evangelism. Get in the door. What's it? Holler out. Tracks. Chick tracks. Oh, do any of you handle chick tracks? Not checks, tracks to chicks, but chick tracks. I, I'm told they're still around. They're, one of them read, uh, are you a Christian or do you smoke? I love that. It's just like, it's that simple. Uh, uh, other things. Someone said manipulation. Street corner. Control freak. Hypocrite. You're in your face. Okay, a lot of negative stuff. I'm sure some of you had positive experiences. But, yeah, when I think about evangelism uh, or evangelical, the first words that come to my mind are cheesy, uh, awkward, manipulative. Because that's what it was all about. And so if you come from a background like that, um, it could be that you've developed a, a case of this disease that I am realizing that I have had. Um, I'll call it evangelophobia. Evangelophobia. Phobia. Uh, if you go to Boyd's Dictionary of Made-Up Words, it's right in front of the word podrishener, all right? And it's, uh, uh, here's what it means. It means having a fear or, or distrust of anything having to do, everything associated with the word evangelism. Um, it's a phobia. I found one source that said that there are 1,041 official phobias that people can suffer from. 1,041. But as of today, there's 1,042. Evangelophobia, and I'm willing to bet a lot of us have it. Uh, the, the word, the concept is just associated with all sorts of negative stuff. It's a little bit like a, a post-traumatic stress disorder where, you know, you're traumatized because of what you inflicted on people or what was inflicted on you. And it just installs buzzers in your brain. And so whenever the word comes up or you think about it or whatever, you, you just get all sorts of negative emotions that, that develop and, and you want nothing to do with it. And I have to confess that I have had that. And without even really knowing it, uh, I've associated... Evangelism with cheesy, awkward, and uh, uh, manipulative stuff. Um, here's the thing. I, I have, in the 22 years that we've been in existence, I've tried to be balanced in terms of presenting the gospel. I want to have the full range of the gospel, and that's just the parts I like. Uh, I've tried to do that. But as I look back on these 22 years, I can now see that evangelophobia has affected things. It's made me hesitant to preach on evangelism. Uh, I've had, I, I mention it now and then, uh, usually as a way of bashing the, the awkward, manipulative, cheesy kind of evangelism. Uh, I think I've had one or two messages on it, but again, it was, the emphasis was how not to do it. Um, but that's in 22 years. In 22 years, consider this, we have never had a series on evangelism. Now, as we're going to see in the series, that's quite an omission because evangelism is pretty important. Um, 
But we haven't had that. And so, and, and this area, I've not been balanced. In this area, I've been very remiss. In fact, I, in this area, I failed you. And I need to ask for your forgiveness. Uh, because there, there's a lot of missed opportunities that happened, uh, probably because of that. And so I'm not going to grovel, but I am going to confess that that was a serious omission. Um, Evangelophobia. Just, and what's really strange about it is I love talking about Jesus. Anytime, any place, I love it. I, I, it's not awkward. It's not manipulative. It's not cheesy. It's just, it's, I just love talking about it. Just the other day, I spent two hours with a guy. Paul, Paul and I were talking. That was a, that was a fun conversation, wasn't it? Uh, it? It was much better than I thought it was going to be. But uh, um, yeah, I love doing that. But in my head, I now realize when, when I thought about teaching people and motivating people to share the gospel, I at some level, associated with encouraging people to be cheesy and awkward and manipulative. I didn't want to do that. But see, instead of just not doing anything, I should have been teaching on the right way to do it. But you live and learn, and you grow. And so, actually preparing for this series, uh, I noticed that I, I wasn't excited about this series. I know we, we should talk about this, we ought to talk about this, but on some level, I had some kind of like naughty stuff I had to work through, and that's when I discovered that I am afflicted with evangelophobia. Um, but I am here to tell you today that that evangelophobia, I, I make this promise, it ends today. Hallelujah. We are casting the demon of evangelophobia out of this place. Hallelujah. Glory. <laughs> so when was the last time you won someone to Jesus Christ? <laughs> Just kidding. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a... Uh, because we're going to see here that it's, it, it's got nothing to do with cheesy or manipulative or, or uh, awkward at all. It's, uh, it's actually something that's very, very, very beautiful. So let's start by talking about the gospel. What, what is the gospel we're supposed to share? Because, see, I think if, one of the reasons why evangelism is so often cheesy and awkward and manipulative. I, I need a different word for manipulative because I'm having trouble saying it today. Conniving. Uh, okay, well, Whatever. What? Deceiving. Yeah, it's not quite deceiving. It's more controlling. Okay, never mind. Um, <laughs> the reason it, it, it so often comes like that is because I think people got kind of a screwed up view of the gospel. Now, the word gospel means good news. That's the meaning of the word, good news. In fact, evangelism, it, it means to be a bearer of good news, a proclaimer of good news. You get to announce good news. But it seems to me that the gospel that often, maybe even usually, is shared by people it's not all that good. It, it, it goes something like this. Um, dude, you're a sinner, and God is going to send you to eternal hell unless you believe that his son stepped up and, and took the brunt of his wrath so that you don't have to. That's the deal. Now, is that really a good, good news? Think, think, think about it like this, because here's, here's a very similar story. Suppose I'm in a bookstore and a guy comes up to me and says, hey, dude, I have it on very reliable information that there's this guy named Bruno and, and, he, and uh, he's mad at you because you're a sinner and he's planning on kidnapping you and torturing you forever unless you believe that he killed his son instead of you. <laughs> Same story. Now, would I, would, I, would, I all of a sudden, would I hear that as good news? Wow, really? <laughs> Tell me more about this Bruno guy. I want to hang out with this Bruno. In fact, I, I want to live with him forever. I just am in love with Bruno. Would I love Bruno? Would, would this news put a skip in my step the rest of the day? No. If someone told me a story like that and I believed it, I'd probably soil my pants. It's like torture me forever. And, and, uh, and I would do everything I could to run from this Bruno guy. I'm going to get a ticket to go to Venezuela or something because so, I don't want to. No, that, that's not good news. It's terrifying news. It's terrifying news. And what's happened is, is 
far too often people have been given this terrifying news, and, but they've been taught to, to call it good news. Um, there's a world of difference between terrifying news and good news. Uh, it's like this. You, you can know the real good news and distinguish it from this pseudo good news that's actually terrifying news, but we're taught to call it good news. You can tell the difference because, and this will be profound, the good news is good. It's actually good. Uh, it, it's like that's good to hear. That's the difference. Good news looks something like this. Here's a little example of good news. I was talking to some, uh, Skyping with some friends uh, in Pennsylvania. These two radical guys, uh, Fred and Rob. We're, we're going to hear from them here sometime. Uh, they, they're just businessmen who started sharing Christ with some people in very natural ways, and people came to Christ, and so they started house churches. And so now they oversee, as they're still doing their business, they oversee this network of house churches. And they're just, they're, they are, they're, they're getting this revolution that's going on, and so we're Skyping about it all the time and sharing stuff, and I get to meet some really cool people out there. It's just beautiful. So uh, at one point, they shared this story. There's a, uh, a Muslim couple that came to this dinner that they host. Every week, they have a community dinner. Any, anyone can come and just eat, and let's just talk. So this Muslim couple comes, and they're both from Iran, and there's another cool testimony about that, but I can't get into it. And uh, they, they end up embracing uh, Christ, and they join one of the house churches. And at some point in one of these meals, uh, the wife of this Iranian couple shares that, that this couple carries a burden. They're grieving. And the reason is because they both really, really wanted to have children, and it turns out the wife can't for some reason. So the community gathers around them and prays for comfort and peace and also prays for healing. Two months or so later, at the same kind of community meal, the couple's there, and the wife announced, you guys, I've got really, really good news. I'm pregnant. We're going to have a baby. Now, that is good news. Would you agree that is good news, right? That's, that's a real positive news. Now, I want us to look at why it's good. And this is going to be very important. It's good because something good has happened. And this is what news is always like. Something good happened. She was healed and now conceived of a child. So something happened in the past that's good that affects the way you view things in the present. Uh, They now see this couple not as a grieving couple, but as a joyous couple, and, and she's pregnant. And that changes an expectation for the future. Um... Now, instead of looking at being childless, they're going to give birth to a child, and they and this community are going to help raise this child. That's good news. Something good happened in the past that changes, for the better, your perception of the present, uh, that changes your expectation for the future. All news is like that, if you think about it. All relevant news. It's something that has happened. It's done. It's affecting you in the present. And if it's good, it affects you positively. If it's bad, it affects you negatively. And it changes your perception of the future. Good if it was good news, bad if it was bad news. So with that, that threefold framework, let's look at the good news that we're supposed to be sharing, that we're supposed to be believing in, and that we're supposed to be sharing. Um, what is it that happened in the past that affects our view of the present that changes our expectation for the future? Now, I'm actually not going to talk about the expectation for the future because I bet everybody here knows that it's about heaven. We get to live eternally with the triune God. So that, I'm just going to leave. What, what gets us to that point? What happened in the past that changes our view of the present? Uh, to get at this, I want to uh, read Second Corinthians 5, one of my pa- favorite passages in the Bible, uh, verses 13 through 21. I'm going to give you a warning here, okay, that if you are conditioned by this pseudo-good news that's actually terrifying news that you've been taught to call good, if that's your framework, what I'm going to read here is probably something that you probably have read, but I bet you it didn't get through because we always read with a filter. And what I'm going to read here and talk about is, is so good that once you start to understand it, it's going to bump up against your framework. 
And there'll be a voice inside your head that will say, oh, that's too good. That's too good to be true. I encourage you to keep an open mind. See, if you're, if you're dealing with a God who is more beautiful than you could possibly imagine, then you would expect the news to be more beautiful than you could possibly imagine. So if it feels too good to be true, that means you're finally starting to get accurate with it. All right? This is the good news uh, about what Jesus has done and how it changes the world. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Prepare to have your mind blown. All right? This is, and this whole passage is just so, so, so packed with beautiful theology. I have to pray for succinctness. You pray for my succinctness. Uh, Because here here we go. If we are out of our mind, as I feel right now, if we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. But if we're in our right mind, it's for you. Now, the reason why we're acting like we're out of our mind is because Christ's love compels us. Not some ought or should or shame or guilt. Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all, everyone say all, all, all died. That's strange. And he died for all, and all died, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Now, in light of the fact that one died, and therefore uh, all have died, in light of that, from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded even Christ that way, we do so no longer. So if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. I'll unpack all this in in a moment. But here, in the Greek, it has a connotation, and several translations capture this. In the Greek, it says, if anyone's in Christ, behold, a new creation. Look, there's a new creation. The old is gone, and the new is here. And all this, this new creation, this holding about, if one died for all, then all have died. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. And he's committed to us that message of reconciliation. It's quite a message. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God, oh, listen to this. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Talking about Jesus. God made Jesus to be sin our sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Yeah, hang on, hang on. What does it say about the past, and what does it say about the present? I'm feel, I, hey, I'm going to do that thing that Seth did, okay? So when I make a point, I might go get it, and you can say, and I'll say, good. Hallelujah. All right. Um, wow. Okay, there's three things Paul, he's talking about the cross, and there's three things Paul says about the cross. That happened in the past. That's good news. Uh, first, he says, if one died for all, then all have died. Now, let's chew on this. I don't know if you've ever thought about what that might mean. But he's saying that Jesus, on the cross, entered into complete solidarity with all of humanity. In some sense, every human being that has ever lived and will ever live was there on the cross with Jesus. Jesus identified with that. And, and uh, uh, he became that. He became their, their sin. On the cross, all human beings are, are united with Christ. And the humanity that is, is, is there, uh, that is dying with Christ on the cross, the humanity that's there is the humanity that's at war with God, alienated from God, hostile to God. It's the humanity that's in sin to bondage, and, uh, in bondage to sin and to Satan. 
it is the humanity that was destined to suffer the death consequences of all sin. Sin is intrinsically suicidal. Sin is the act of pushing God away, and God is the source of all life. And so the wages of sin is death. It, it naturally, eventually leads to death. God doesn't have to kill people to punish them. No, their punishment is simply the, the innate death consequences of their sin. Uh, that's the humanity, that ugly, fallen, rebellious, sinful, imprisoned humanity. That's what was killed on the cross. Because Jesus identified with all of that. And so what it means is this, and, and see, to get this, you're going to have to make a decision here. To see the beauty of this, you've got to make a decision. Uh, I'm going to decide what is true based on how the world appears. That's what Paul calls the worldly point of view. I'll get to it in a moment. Are you going to base your idea of truth on how things appear, or are you going to understand how things appear on the basis of truth? Because it doesn't look like, it doesn't look like ugly, rebellious, sinful, imprisoned humanity has been put to death. It looks like it's alive and well. But we are now told on the authority of God, by the Holy Spirit, that in fact it's been put to death, which means every ugly, old, rebellious, sinful, imprisoned thing in your life and in everyone else's life is, in some sense, it died 2,000 years ago. So it's a lie that it's alive. Now, we keep on giving it life by believing lies, but in fact, it's dead. Is this starting to sound like good news to anybody? Get it? Good. Good. Here's the second thing he says. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I could spend three hours on this one verse. Let's just chew on it. Get, get, try, try, try this picture out. Um, since, since in some sense, all human beings, past, present, and future, were on the cross when Jesus died. Picture this. It's like God squished all of humanity, past, present, and future, all humanity into the body of Jesus on the cross. And God made him to be our sin. So he, he squished humanity into the being of Jesus on the cross. And it's like Jesus then suctioned out the poisonous venom of our sin, all sin. He, 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 he suctioned it out and absorbed it within himself. And it killed him. Uh, he, he suffers the consequences of all the sin of humanity, past, present, and future. He identifies with it. He suctions it out from us, absorbs it into himself. He becomes that. And he then suffers the death consequences uh, of, of all that sin. And try to get your mind around that. That is why Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, the, the, the end consequence of all sin, every sin, is that you're apart from God, alienated from God. Paul says you become a God, God-forsaken curse in Galatians. So he is now on the inside of all of that, of having absorbed that poison, he's on the inside of every sin that every human being has ever committed. He's identifying with it. Uh, he, he, he is now the, the, the pedophile. He, all, he, he is all pedophiles. He's all murderers. He's, he's all traitors. He's all liars. He's all, he's all cheats. He's all, he's all every thief. He is that on the inside, and so he's experiencing the hell of, of pedophilia, the hell of murder, the hell of killing, and every other sin you can possibly imagine. He's on the inside of that nightmare. The all-holy God is now experiencing this, which would have to be the most nightmarish experience we could possibly imagine because it's absolutely antithetical to his being to have any sin, let alone have all the sin, and that's what Jesus did for us. And see, what he's doing by suctioning out all that sin and absorbing it, well, see, when he dies, it dies with him. Uh, it's like... The, you kill the host to kill the parasite. And he, he absorbed all the parasites and it dies with him. And he did that in order to remove every obstacle between us and God. To take that off the table. The sin's not an issue any longer. Uh, it's off the table. And, and, and part of what would separate us from God was our imprisonment to Satan. 
And guess what? He absorbed that and took care of that too. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. Uh, he, Paul says this, that though we were, were dead in our sin, uh, Christ took all of our sin and he nailed it to the cross. Everything that stood against us. And he thereby disempowered the principalities and powers and made a mockery out of them. Internalize this. So when Jesus died, all sin died with him. Everything that stood against us, that condemned us, that separated us from Christ, was there on the cross, and it died with him. He absorbed it, took it down with himself. And see, here's the thing. The only thing the enemy has ever had on anybody is their sin. He's the accuser. That's what he does. That's his nature. And, and, and we give him stuff to accuse us of, right? And that's our imprisonment. That's our bondage. Every sin we, 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 we've ever committed takes us out from under the, the authority of God and puts us into the authority of Satan. So we were prisoners. Um, but see, on the cross, all of that was destroyed. Everything that the enemy could ever use on anybody, you included, everything, every sin you've ever committed, every lie you've ever told, every person you've ever hurt, every person you've ever killed, every, whatever you've done, uh, it was nailed to the cross and it was abolished. Everything Satan could have used to keep you in prison has been destroyed, it's been decimated, abolished, annihilated, eradicated, eliminated, obliterated, defeated. It's over, it's done, it's gone as far as the east is from the west. It means you are free. Yes, it's... It, it's does that sound like good news to anybody? <laughs> it's the best freaking news in the universe. It, it's, 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 uh, it, it, it's, it's incredible. Um, and see, this is why we are now free to become the righteousness of God. The concept of righteousness in the Bible, it's, it's a covenantal concept. If you don't believe me, ask Paul Eddie, he'll tell you. And uh, it, it has a connotation of right-relatedness. You will line up with something. You're righteous. You line up with something. And so now that every obstacle has been removed, and now that, oh, this is why the enemy's called, uh, that God made a mockery out of him, a laughing stock, is because it was the crucifixion that took away all of his ammunition, and guess who orchestrated the crucifixion? He did. <laughs> so that's his laughing stock. He, he brought about his own unemployment. He, he, he robbed himself of his own ammunition. He, he set the, the captives free. I bet he's sorry for that move. And that's what Paul says. If the, if, the, if the princes of this world, the principalities and powers, had understood the wisdom of God, what God was up to, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory because that's what's bringing them to nothing. Hallelujah. That's good news. That's good news. And so it's been destroyed. It's been destroyed. And, and so now, now that everything's been removed, we can be rightly related with God. In fact, we can share in Christ's own right relatedness, a perfect right relatedness with the Father. We participate in the right relatedness of the triune God. Get it? Good. Hallelujah. The good news is getting gooder and gooder and gooder. Now listen to this third thing. Here's part of what happened in the past. Um, Paul says that, that God was in Christ, uh, reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sin against them. Okay, see, so in, absorb, in, in, in suctioning out all that separated us from God, all that sin, all that venom, and absorbing it into his own body, and, and suffering the death consequences that come with that, entering the hell of that, what he did is he removed every obstacle, he put to death everything that could have separated us from God. And that is why. So God was reconciling us to himself. There's this division of sin and the bodies of Satan that separate us. He takes it off the table by absorbing it within himself and paying the consequences for that. And now we can become rightly related with him. And this is how we're reconciled to him. And this is why he doesn't count anyone's sin against them. The sin is dead. There's nothing to count. He's wiped it off the table. He doesn't count people's sin against them. And now this is starting to sound like absolutely gorgeous, magnificent news. It, 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 
there'll be some people, I'm sure, this weekend who will hear this, and it's, it's kind of bad news. Because, like, if you were really into the kind of judging game, you know, you like to judge people, um, you know, you, you, you're the evaluator of sin, uh, and you're, you're always on the, you know, winning side of that. Well, the, I just rained on your parade, because I'm saying, telling you, that's all done. That game is over. It's over. It, it's, it, it's, so if you're a judger, this is bad news. And if you think that your sins are less you know, grievous than other people's sins, those nasty sinners out there, they got the real serious sins, ours are, ours are a little minor, uh, then, then this will probably be bad news for you. Uh, you know, because for some folks, the judgment is, is what makes Christianity fun. We get to be the in crowd, they're the out crowd. You know, we're the righteous, they're the unrighteous, we're the special, they're the not special, we're going to heaven, they're going to hell. And this is, this is saying, no, playing field is, is, is level. But see, but if your head is on right and you understand that you are the worst of sinners and that you, without Christ, you would be as lost and gone as anybody who ever existed. If you get that point, then this is the best freaking news in the universe because God's not counting your sin against you. That game's over with. The accuser is defeated. And some folks in this auditorium and some folks on podcasts, uh, you need to, to really hear this. That means that God's not holding your sin against you. And make it personal. He's not holding your sin against you. Which means that <laughs> I'm feeling somebody here right now. It means that, that you can stop holding your sin against you. Uh, it, it, to the degree that you think you, you need to grovel and pay for that the rest of your life, uh, uh, that is the enemy. That's the enemy. Uh, we, we disempower him with our lies. It's, it's, it's a lie. Um, uh, he's not holding it against you. You get a do-over. Start now. Go forward. So many wonderful things have happened to us in the past. It changes everything. It changes everything. The good news is that Jesus Christ died for all, therefore all died. That, that God made him to be the sin of all of humanity, and, and therefore all of humanity can be rightly related to God, and that God reconciled the entire world to himself, and therefore he's not counting anyone's sin against anybody. That is really good news. It's a game changer. It changes everything, 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 everything. Okay, now, how's it, how should this affect our present? Right? The good news has a past, present, and future. We all know the future. But this was the past. How should it change the way we look at things? Paul says two things about this in this passage. First of all, he says, from now on, because of that, we no longer regard anyone from a worldly point of view. If anyone is in Christ, rather than that worldly point of view, if anyone's in Christ, well, look, there's a new creation. Look, the old is gone. Look, everything is new. This is how we're supposed to look at the world. Now, this worldly point of view, Paul uses this phrase a number of times. It, it's simply looking as though appearances told the whole story. It, it's basing truth on, the, on appearances. Since it looks like sin is alive and well, well, sin must be alive and well. Um, the worldly point of view is, is looking at things as though, on a spiritual level, what was true is false, and what was false was true. It's looking at the world as though Jesus in the past didn't die for all, as though not, not everyone was dead, as though God was still counting people's sin against them, as though there still were obstacles between us and God. As though Jesus Christ hadn't become our sin. All that becomes irrelevant. What, 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 what is true is just what you see here now. And so we evaluate things on that basis. That's the worldly point of view. And Paul says we used to look at the people that way. We thought that what we saw was what was real. But now that we know the truth of what happened, we no longer look at people that way. Rather, if anyone is in Christ, look, there is a new creation. Uh, all things are new. All things are new. Um, and see, th this is... It means that you see people in terms of the effect that the past had on them. We look around the world, and they don't know, the people don't know, that, 
that, that, that God no longer is, is, is holding their sin against them. But we do, and so we, that's what we need to see. Uh, they don't know that they have unsurpassable worth because God paid an unsurpassable price for them. But we do, and so that's what we ought to see. We, can't, we have to see past appearances. It's, like, it's, like, it's a little bit like, suppose like on the cross, God made every human being. He suctioned out everything that was ugly and left them to be beautiful monarch butterflies. That's the, that's the truth. That, that's a new creation that God created on the cross. But they're still wrapped up in cocoons of lies. And humanity still is. We still empower the enemy with our lies, the lies that we believe. But see, we need to see past the lies and therefore see past the cocoons and see the butterflies that God created on the cross. Uh, folks don't know the beautiful God who would go, has gone to every extreme, every possible extreme to reconcile humanity to himself. But we do know that God and we need to see everything in light of that God and in light of everything he's done. We've got to wear cross spectacles that give us like x-ray vision to see into the cocoon and see the beauty of the butterfly that is there. Not to be deceived by the external appearances of things, but to see what really is there. Everyone all around us, and we ourselves are in the process of getting out of this, this cocoon to live in truth. But as, if we know the truth, uh, we, we, we begin to look at the world that way, as a new creation, as the beautiful thing that God has created uh, by dying for us on the cross. Um, and that creates in us a longing to see the captives get set free. You know, in our lives, there are people that intersect with our lives all the time who are in, who are in cocoons of lies. Uh, one's in a cocoon of really believing that, that they just can't be loved. Another one's in a cocoon of thinking that they're going to be alone all their life. Another, another one's in a cocoon of thinking that they'll never have the power to overcome this addiction they have. Or they'll never be able to get out of this insecurity they have. Uh, or they're living in a cocoon, a cocoon of absolute hatred, uh, judging their neighbor for the way they treat them. Or they're living in a cocoon of, of, of thinking their life is purposeless. Or a cocoon of thinking that they need to try to fill up their life by achievements and getting attention or what have you. Cocoons all around. But what we should see is not the cocoon, but the butterfly. Uh, a child of, of God has been imprisoned, uh, kidnapped by a lie, and imprisoned in a cage of lies, a cocoon of lies. And, and we've got to be able to see past that, um, to see, to describe the worth that they don't, themselves don't have, to see a truth that they don't yet, they haven't heard or they don't really believe that what happened in the past with the cross changes their reality. The worldly point of view is the way most people, vast, vast, vast majority of, of the world, including the vast majority of Christians, it's the way they look at the world. What you see is what you get. But we've got to, if we're, if we're kingdom people, we've got to have x-ray vision to be able to see stuff that people themselves don't see. And see, as you see the new creation, look, a new creation, as you see that, um, and then see the cocoon that they are in, uh, it begins to break your heart. You, you begin to want to set them free. When the monarchs are meant to fly, not stay encased in a cocoon. And so there's a longing for you to get, get, help get them free, which leads to the second thing that Paul says is true in the present. He says, And God has committed to us a message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Uh, as you look at the world, and don't judge don't decide truth on the basis of what appears. Rather, understand how things appear on the basis of truth. And as you do that, you're seeing the way God sees, and it creates in you a heart to feel what God feels. And you want to see monarchs set free. And now this becomes part of the good news. He's given to us a message of reconciliation. Now, what's that message of reconciliation? He says it here as clear as you could possibly say it. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sin against him. 
And God gave us this ministry, this message of reconciliation. What is it? To tell people that God's not holding their sin against them. That's good news. That's bringing somebody's good news. Check this out. I, 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 I will bet you a trillion, trillion dollars right now that a lot of folks listening to this message right now um, have been told the exact opposite. The good news, the pseudo-good news, that's really terrifying news that you've been taught to call good news, that, that, that it, the job is to tell people that God is holding their sin against them. That's what you're supposed to do. That's the good news you're supposed to proclaim. Oh, and then you add, oh, but then Jesus stepped up and took the brunt of the Father's wrath so that you don't have to. So, so thankfully, uh, you know, God's holding your sin against you, but Jesus saved you from God. <laughs> Figure that one out. Um, and, and, and so that's the good news. We're supposed to, God, hold their feet to the fire. Give them, that's how they're going to repent. Uh, and then for a lot of you, I'm sure we're also taught that not only does God hold people's sin against them, but we're supposed to hold people's sin against them because that's what Christians do. Uh, we are, our sins are minor compared to those major sins out there, the deal breaker sins, the heinous sins, the one that God's really, really mad at, the ones that are destroying our great country. And so we need to pass laws against their sins, not against our sins, of course, and, and hold posters and whatnot. So this is the gig. This is what it is. God, God is, is holding your sins against you, and so we hold your sins against you. Paul says the exact opposite. He says the exact, our message is the exact opposite. It's a part of how we introduce people to a beautiful God. It's the good news. It's really good. It really, it's, it's, it's the best news imaginable. Um, it, it, it's, really, it's unfathomably gorgeous news. Um, and so the, with Paul, we're ambassadors of this beautiful message. We get to announce this. Everything changed. You, you don't know this yet. You don't believe this yet. Maybe, but I'm here to tell you everything changed 2,000 years ago because of what God did. And let me tell you what God did. And here, let me tell you now what that means for you. God's not holding your sins against you. And, and so with Paul, we implore them to be reconciled. Paul says, we implore you to be reconciled to God. And that just means, he already said, God's already been reconciling. So to be reconciled means you just accept your reconciliation. <laughs> the good news we proclaim is, and, and implore people to embrace is this. You are loved with an everlasting, perfect, unwavering, unfathomable, incomprehensible love. Just be loved. Uh, you are forgiven. Be forgiven. Uh, you, you are embraced by God. There's no barrier between you and God anymore. Embrace that, that lack of barrier. Uh, God just wants, he's, he's not holding your sin against you. So, so embrace that. He just wants a relationship with you. So just embrace that. Uh, he set you free. Embrace that. He's empowered you to, to be a monarch that gets out of a cocoon. Embrace that and start flying. And, and, and it comes down to saying this, I know you've been told that you've been worthless all your life, but I got good news. No, <laughs> you got more worth than you could possibly imagine. I know that you were told that you're, to get, feel good about yourself, you've got to get a man's attention, but I got really good news for you. I know you were told that, that you need to be impressing people, but I got good news for you. I know you were told that you'll never amount to much of anything, but I got good news for you. That all died 2,000 years ago. I know you think you're always going to be in bondage to this affliction you've got, but I've got good news for you. I, it's not that way at all. You couldn't have more worth. You couldn't be more free. All of that is dead. It's, it's an illusion. Now start living in the truth. Folks, that is good news. That is good news. Amen. Amen. Get it? Good. Get it? Good. Hallelujah. It's, it's good news. It's good news. And see, here's the thing. Sharing that is not awkward or, or, or cheesy or manipulative. Um, I suppose we're capable of making anything cheesy, awkward, and manipulative, but it doesn't need to be. It's as natural as this. I, the other day, a couple months ago, actually, uh, that's a lie. It was a couple months ago. I was walking my dog. That's a lie. It's actually a cat. Never mind. So I was, 
Um, walking my dog, as I do customarily, and a lady comes up, and she was pretty nervous, and um, uh, she was saying, you know, do you, do, I have a job interview at St. Thomas, and it's going to be in about five minutes. Uh, do you, please, do you know the way to St. Thomas? I was told to go this way, and, and I'd find it, but I've been down that road for two miles, and I can't, I can't see it anywhere. Do you know how to get to St. Thomas? And I said, well, I've got good news for you. <laughs> I, I do. I run past it all the time. Uh, and so if you just go up two blocks, get on, on Summit, and go down two and a half miles, it'll be right there on your right. You're just going the wrong direction. I'm giving you right information. Trust me. Uh, it felt really good to give her good news. And it was just about correcting her misinformation. She thought this? No, 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 no. It's, it's over here. And you can make your job interview. That's all we're doing. I know you were told this. I know you thought, you thought God was ugly. Oh, I, I got good news. I, I know that you thought that, that God's always angry at you, but I've got good news. I know you thought God took your daughter, but I've got really good news for you. I know he understands where you're at. He's not holding it against you. He just wants a relationship. Um, I, 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 I just imagine God's heart sometimes. You know, like, if one of my children thought that I didn't want a relationship because of all the wrongs they did, It'd break my heart. If they didn't know I had a character that a relationship with them is, would, I, if they murdered, it wouldn't matter. Uh, you, think I'm, you think that could block my love? I, I don't even want to talk about that. That's done. I just want a relationship with you. That's God's heart. He just created these folks and went to hell. He experienced the opposite of himself, went to the deepest hell he can imagine in order to have a relationship with every particular individual in his world. And all he wants is that relationship. It would go on forever. And to have them entrapped in a cocoon of lies, God's break his heart. And if we can begin to see people like that, looking past the exterior, collapsing our worldly point of view judgments, to see what God sees, we begin to feel what God feels. And now the opportunity that he might use us to, to, to tell them some good news that they've been lied to. The truth will set them free. You shall know the truth, the truth. Will... That becomes an awesome privilege, an awesome privilege. So I, I want to end with this. You know, last week I, we talked about this, how we, we're created not just for ourselves but for others. And we're saved not just for ourselves but for others. We all should have a for others list of some sort. Uh, one or two, three, however many people God puts on your heart. But people on our radar screen that we start praying for, because that's how we're going to be doing them good, and that we are asking God to open up a door to build a relationship of some sort. They're not our projects. People are never projects. Uh, the relationships, but out of the relationship will come some good things, both for you and for them. And, and so we're asking God to write those down. I've got two people on my list that I'm just intentional about. Um, so I, I have that list, but now I'd like us to do the same thing on this. We're all, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are called to be an ambassador of the gospel, uh, a good news bearer. And that's not a ought or should or shame or guilt manipulative thing at all. It's, it's, uh, I hope now you can see why this is a part of the good news. God would use us. He makes his appeal through us. And I, I would encourage you to, to uh, write down on that list. Maybe the same people that, that you're praying to serve in some other way, but to serve somebody by telling them the truth about the beautiful God who has made them beautiful uh, is, is the greatest privilege you could ever have. It's the greatest service you could ever give somebody. And just have that on your radar screen. I encourage you to keep on getting free of evangel phobia. Uh, it, it kicks back now and then. You know, every, every time you see an evangelist, uh, it'll kick back in. Like, I don't want anything to do with that. But just remember what the real good news is, what the real gospel is. And that's what we're called to share in the most natural ways. I encourage us to be reminding ourselves. See, what I just preached about the folks out in the world, it's true of us. 
We're all in the process of getting out of cocoons, believing the truth about ourselves. And sometimes it takes a while and sometimes it's hard. It feels so real, doesn't it? It feels real. But you got to know it's not. Sometimes you just got to ask the question, what are you going to trust more, appearances or, the, or what or God says? Is God's perspective going to be the true one or not? Uh, and you just have to make a choice on this. From appearances, it looks like, all, like the cross didn't do anything. But God is saying from his side, here's the thing. Here, 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 I, this is what I really want to end with, okay? My, my meds must be wearing off right now, so I better quick, pretty, pretty quick here. But here, here, see, here, people can still continue to believe a lie if they want. They're free to believe a lie. This way, I don't believe that, that everybody is automatically saved because of what Calvary did, because it's about a relationship, and it takes two to enter into a relationship, and it's got to be chosen. I think people can stay in their cocoons. Uh, but see, from God's side, and this is the truth we have to believe, and this is what we have to see in the new creation. From God's side, it's done. From God's side, as all were in Adam, so all are in Christ, Paul says. 1 Corinthians 15, 22. From God's perspective, uh, the new creation is already here. The old has passed away. There are no obstacles. All is forgiven. The slate is wiped clean. That's God's perspective, and that is what we're to believe regardless of what, how things appear, regardless of how we experience things in our own life. That's what we must believe because that's the truth that will set us free, and that's the truth that God will use to help us set others free. And that's the good news, folks. That's the good news of the gospel. Hallelujah. Amen. What a beautiful God. What a marvelous God. Would you stand? I encourage you to pray about who should be on that list. Who can you be an ambassador to? It's so exciting when you see the real truth. The altars are up here and uh, uh, right the stairs behind me. And I encourage you, if you have any need whatsoever, uh, to come up here, whether it's about this topic or something else, doesn't matter. But uh, have all these folks to pray with you. If you are not a follower of Jesus, you're not surrendered to him, I, I, I implore you, be reconciled to God. Just embrace this. And if you come up here and talk to these folks, they'll tell you how to get started on becoming a Jesus follower. I pray that we, as the part of the new creation, we go out of here into a new creation and we see everybody in the light of that new creation and we love on people in the light of that new creation and God uses us to set the butterflies free. Amen? And all God's people said... Get it? Good. Let's go get it.